let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to gather together. I thank you for this church and for this season. Lord, as we lean into uh, this, this holiday, this, this season, this time where we typically get some time uh, of rest, uh, time with family, time with our church, help us to remember that this is, as this season is about you. And we get caught up in a lot of other things. Uh, this can be a crazy busy season, but we need to make this a season about learning about you, Lord, celebrating you. And so help us to do that as we, as we lean into your word today, Lord. Open up your word to us, pour out your spirit upon us, soften our hearts that we can hear, that we can learn, Lord, that we could be transformed. And we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. I took a peek. If you're borrowing a Bible, I think it's page 980. If not, it's still Philippians 1. So we can do that. We're in a series called Who Is This? And we're looking this Advent season. If you're unfamiliar with the term Advent, Advent means the coming of, or, or sort of like the first coming of Christ. Advent is the season leading up to Christmas, including Christmas. And so during this season, we're looking at less of a what happened and more of a why did it happen? Why did Jesus come? And that song we just sang just a minute ago, right before the band got off the stage, is called Who Is This So Weak and Helpless? It was written by uh, William Walsham Howe back in the mid to late 1800s. And like many songs about Jesus that include the narrative of Jesus' birth, it can't just stay there, right? It can't just stay in those moments where Jesus is born, but instead, it kind of moves us forward to the rest of the life of Jesus. We saw that a couple weeks ago, uh, or excuse me, last week in the Gospel of John. Like even the author John, as he's telling the beginning of the story, telling the birth or, or, the, or the kind of the, the beginning of the Christmas story, he can't just stay there, right? He can't separate the Christmas story from the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. Because they are one cumulative story about how God is redeeming humanity. So we've been working through this song using different lyrics to kind of prompt us in scripture. So here's the lyric we're looking at today. It's, who is this so weak and helpless child of lowly Hebrew maid, rudely in a stable sheltered, coldly in a manger laid? We just heard from Terry as she read that, that there, those famous words, for there was no room at the end, right? So the baby Jesus, the child, the Savior, God become human flesh, is born in a stable functionally, right? In a place where animals sleep instead of a place where people sleep. So here's our main idea today. Jesus born in human flesh. The birth of Christ is about God becoming flesh and blood so that all humanity could be restored to God. That Jesus became like us so that we could become like him, as one ancient church father said. That Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. That we could become at one again with God, God who created us, God who loves us. And that the sin that separates humanity and God could be redeemed, could be forgiven, could be reconciled. And so the birth of Christ, yes, it begins a story about how God rescues us from our sin, but it also includes so much more. So we're looking at some of the why instead of just the how. So Philippians 1, we're going to start right in the middle of verse 18. 
and says, yes, and this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So here's Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Paul is imprisoned at this point. So Paul's in prison writing letters to churches that he had helped plant and pastor and cared for. So he's writing them letters to help ground them in the gospel. And so as he's in prison, I want you to hear this. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Right, this morning I woke up, it was a little cold outside, right? I'm a little sleepy, had to get a little extra coffee. And if I didn't do all that, I'd probably be grumpy, right? I'd probably be kind of in it just like, oh, you know, it's cold out or whatever. And here's Paul in prison, right? And he says, yes, I will rejoice. Like his conditions are actually bad. And I just use the word cold, and Yvette used the word cold, and yet we live in Southern California where it never really gets cold. <laughs> Bougie. All right, so uh, anyhow, so um, here's Paul in prison. I will rejoice because of Christ who strengthens me, because the Spirit of Christ who lives in me, because I get it, right? Because... <laughs> because I understood what I was supposed to do. I understand what I'm supposed to be doing, right? As TikTok famously says, I understood the assignment. Like, Paul got it. Paul knows what he's supposed to be doing. For the other half of you, it was funny. Just don't worry about it. It's not worth looking up. So, Paul's like, I understand what life's supposed to be about. I've been transformed by Jesus. My life is different. My life is so transformed by Jesus, like nothing could change it back. Like I'm in this 100%. So even if I'm in prison, I'm still doing ministry. I'm writing to the churches. I'm caring for people. I'm still filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I'm still empowered by that. I will rejoice. No matter where we are this Christmas season, no matter where we are, we can rejoice when our eyes are fixed on Jesus right? I know it's a tough season for some, right? Maybe a loss of a loved one, right? Maybe, maybe the loss of a job, maybe COVID, maybe anything that's going on could be anything, right? Might just be a hard season. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we, when we focus, when we keep the main thing, the main thing, right? When we lean into what Jesus is and who Jesus is and why Jesus is so important to us, we have reason to rejoice outside of, you know, no matter what our situation is. So verse 20, he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is in prison and awaiting what could be his execution. He will go on to give his life for the faith right? He will go on. He will give his life for being a Christian. And he knows that while he's in prison, he knows that this could turn out really bad for him. In fact, he expects that it will, and he's right. But here's what he says. Listen, no matter if I live or if I die, I have faith that I will not at all be ashamed. In other words, that I will live my life in such a way that it glorifies Jesus. No matter if they execute me, or if they keep me locked up, or if they let me go, it doesn't matter. I have a confidence, and his confidence isn't in him. The confidence, as he just said in the last verse, is in the spirit of Jesus that is in him. 
right? I have confidence that I am empowered by the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that 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 lives in me, that I can endure whatever life brings me. That because of that, I won't dishonor my savior, that I won't be ashamed on the other side of this of how I finished. He says that I have eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. Doesn't matter if I live or if I die, that I will live in such a way that I will glorify Jesus. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. These famous words that are often used, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. We use them in a lot of different settings. A lot of times Christians will kind of proof text, pull something out of scripture. It doesn't always fit the context that it was written in. Maybe it applies, maybe it doesn't, but Here's the context. Whether they execute me for my faith, whether they keep me in prison for the rest of my life, or whether they let me go, it doesn't really matter. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Even if what we would call the worst happens, it's actually gain, he says. And even if, and and you can think through this and come to your own conclusion, but for me, The rest of life in prison is probably worse than death, right? Depends. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you'd rather live a long life locked up. I have some level of experience in that and tell you, I don't think that'd be a good idea, right? That would be long. But whether I live or I die, no matter if I live inside, locked up, waiting for this, or whether they release, doesn't really matter. If I live, it's Christ. If I live, it has a purpose. If I live, I get to represent Jesus to others. I get to care for other people in the faith. Right now, he's in prison writing letters to, a, to churches, in this case, to the church in Philippi. He's writing to encourage them and their struggles. God is using him as, as one to them to care for them. So for him, to live is Jesus. To live is to do ministry. To live is to encourage the churches. To live is to do what God has created him and called him and equipped him to do. And to die is to be with Jesus. To live as Christ, to die as gain, he says. But he doesn't say that in some easy setting. He says that from a prison cell, awaiting his eventual execution. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So that we don't understand Paul, misunderstand Paul, excuse me. He will appeal to Caesar, which will prolong his time in jail. When he could have been executed prior to that as a Jew, what happens is they figure out he's a Roman citizen and that will make his whole being imprisoned longer. It still ends up in his death. Before that moment, he's like, man, I could just get this over with. They want to kill me. Let them kill me. Right to die is gain. But if I live, I can continue to do the ministry that Jesus has called me to do, that God has equipped me to do, that the Holy Spirit has empowered me to do. I can do that. Eventually, he makes that choice. And right here, he says that. He says, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. Well, he's not looking at taking his own life. He's not trying to end it. He's just saying, like, there's different routes in front of me, and there's different outcomes. One is probably prison and death, and one is sure death. 
But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like to go and be with Jesus is a good thing, right? When this happens, this is good. I met with a woman this just, I guess it was Thursday, whose mother died this summer. Uh, and she was a longtime member of El Dorado Park Community Church uh, locally in Long Beach. And, and she came in, she was talking to me about the passing of her mom. And she said it with joy every once in a while with a couple tears, but she said it with a smile that the way things happened were so good that she didn't suffer, she wasn't in pain, right? That, that the end of her life came and that she was able to see her, her daughter that lives here and then she has a daughter, the woman has a sister, the, the lady who died has a daughter, lives out of state, was able to spend time with her while she was fully coherent. Like they see this as it went really well. Like it could have been really bad and it could have been very different, but it went very well. And the confidence of knowing mom is with Jesus was real to them. The reality that I am not, able, I don't get to go visit my mom today or again, wasn't what controlled her. That truly through smiles, this story was told to me, even, even when she would tear up, because the, the relationship's still different. There's no physical, I get to go visit, right? We know that. We get that that changes, right? We've all experienced loss at some level. But the belief in her faith was so solid, it was different. She truly believed and knew that her mom was with Jesus. To live is Christ, but to die is gain, Right, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You know how sometimes you'll be talking, you're working through an idea in your head and, and you're kind of working through it and you kind of come to a conclusion where you start out with an I don't know, you end up with an answer, right? You're kind of processing out loud. Feels like that's what Paul is doing as he writes right here. But to remain alive, he says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So for me to die would be better. I get to go be with Jesus. I don't have to be locked up. I don't have to worry about the end of my life coming or a violent death, a painful death. I don't have to worry about that anymore. It'd be easier, right? But he says to remain here in the flesh, alive, is better because of you, he says. Because I can continue to be an encouragement to you to remain in the flesh. You see, the gospel story, this is Paul living out the gospel, right? That simple gospel that God created you, loves you, designed you, designed me, made us, created us to be in relationship with him, designed us to worship him. Our design is to be worshipers. And that doesn't just mean like what we do when we sing songs, although that's one way to worship. But to be worshipers of God means we put God first, that we put Jesus first, that we make our decisions based on that. Well, what will glorify Jesus? That's living a life of worship. We were made to do that. When we live outside of that, we live in a way that is broken and foreign to how we were created. We call that sin, right? When we do what God has called us not to do, or we don't do what God has called us to do, and we live outside of God's design for us, we call that sin. And that sin was entered into human history and has broken the world that we live in, and we see it today, that the result of that sin is death. That we wear masks today because of result, not because of our sin or your sin or my sin or any particular sin, but because we live in a broken world today, right? If we're online because we don't want to wear a mask or because maybe we're not able to be around people, <clears throat> illness, death, all that, that's the curse of sin. But wars 
and struggles on earth and, and, the, and the, just the, the problems of the world that we live in, that's all sin. That's all the result of sin, that the world God created that was perfect, that was beautiful and good, that that world is broken is because of us. People want to blame God, like, why did God take so-and-so from me? Or, or why did this happen? Why would God allow this to happen? Well, God created a world that was perfect and good. Humanity comes in and adds to the sin in the world. Every time you and I sin, just consider the collective sin and how that just piles sin on the world that we live in and how we add to the brokenness and then just go back thousands of years of humanity. And no wonder we live in such a broken world, right? But Christmas is that story. It's that time of year we remember that God didn't just leave us to the brokenness. God didn't just say, hey, you chose this, which is true. And you desire to continue to do this was also true. So go do it. He didn't say that. He said, instead, I love you so much. I'm going to chase after you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to become flesh. And so I'm going to give you my son who is going to become human, fully God, yet fully human, who will live in this world and he will live without sin. And then he will die a death he does not deserve, that you deserve, that I deserve. He will die in our place to take the penalty for our sin, to reconcile us back again to God. In love, God sent Jesus. In love, Jesus comes to earth, God, who became flesh. Last week, we talked about this. Who is Jesus in the beginning? In the beginning, he was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. 14 verses later, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the creator, God, became flesh. He came here to reconcile us to God. I want to read verse 24 again. It says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul says, for me to remain in the flesh, remain alive, is more necessary for you. Easier for me to go be with Jesus, more necessary for you on your account. See, easier for Jesus to remain God in heaven, creator, life, light, all those words that John used about him that we talked about last week. Easier for Jesus, for sure. But Jesus put on skin for you and for me. Jesus put on flesh, became human, Right, born in a manger, a child, not even in a nice place, not even in their home, in a stable, right? Took on the humility of humanity and the lowest of humanity for you and for I, for you and for me. However that you would say that in English. <laughs> that too, totally. I don't think that works either. But yeah, for me and you, for us and for y'all, I don't know, all y'all, all we all, I don't know. So, all right. I gotta quit watching moonshiners. I've taken on a hillbilly language. I don't know, maybe. I don't sure. <laughs> Just like Jesus became flesh, Paul knows to remain in the flesh, to remain alive is the way I imitate Jesus. To do this is more important on your behalf. Easier for me to go be with Jesus. But here I serve a purpose and serve Jesus, and I remain here on your half. Just like Jesus became flesh for us, Paul says, I remain in the flesh for you. That should challenge us. We can pause right here and just ask, okay, how do we take this life that we've been given? And let's just pause for a second. We're not locked up for our faith. We're not God become human. We're not living in a worst case scenario. In fact, we want to live on probably one of the best, in one of the best nations on the planet, flaws and all, still one of the best places to live on the planet. How can we take that very blessed, very privileged life, right? 
very good life that we all have been given. How do we take that and live that for others? Just as Jesus did for us, just as Paul did for the church in Philippi. Verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in May you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Right? Convinced that it's better for me to be here. Convinced that being sacrificial, that imitating Jesus is better than taking what would be easier, better for me. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain. And I'll do this for your progress, for your joy. Paul imitates the incarnation. Incarnation is that term we use for Jesus God becoming flesh, incarnation, right? That he became human. We'll put this on the screen. So experiencing joy. Christ joyfully entered into humanity to be our savior. Paul finds joy in serving others because Jesus empowers him to see beyond this temporary life. How do we do that? How do we live this life, this temporary life? This life's short, right? This life will eventually come to an end one way or another. Today, tomorrow, the next day, 80 years from now. How do we live this life imitating Jesus? How do we live this life instead of what's best for me, but what's best for others? Doing what Jesus has called us to do. Let me, and that's just too big of a question for us to probably wrestle with today. Unless you're wrestling with that question, like how do I live my life completely? Maybe that's just too big for today. So let's do this. How do I live the rest of December in such a way that I'm living for Jesus, for others, so that others can see Jesus through me. Probably looking at three weeks or something like that, right? How do I spend this Christmas season living like Jesus would call me to live, living like Jesus in human flesh, like that? I know we're not Jesus, but we get to be Jesus to others, right? How do I do that? That's a challenge we can ask ourselves today. How do I do that? How do I imitate Jesus here? All right, let's skip to Philippians 2, verse 1. Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. For those of you that are studying Acts together with us, there's that word again, right? Being in one accord, being unified. How do we do this as a church? How do we pursue this? So here's what Paul actually says to the church in Philippi. He says, listen, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, your salvation, right? If there's any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, if you're empowered by the very spirit of Jesus, and let's do the math. If you're in Christ, you are empowered by the spirit. So talking to Christians, right? If there's any affection and sympathy, if you love me, if you understand where I'm at, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Live your life for others. Take this December and figure out how am I going to be Jesus to the people around me, my coworkers, the students in my class, my family, the people I go to Christmas parties with, whatever it might be, to the grocer in the grocery store that I see when I go buy my groceries, whatever it might be. How do I live like Paul who is living like Jesus, right? Paul will write to the church in Corinth, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As, as Christians, we should all be able to look at others and say, listen, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not perfectly, but as I follow Jesus, follow me. I'm not perfect, but I'm pointed at the one who is perfect. And he says, listen, imitate me. Don't think about yourself first. Think about others first. Just as Christ did for us, let us do for others for the sake of Christ. 
Here's a note for you, comfort and love. Paul finds encouragement and comfort in the gospel knowing that God loved us enough to send his son to save us. In fact, let me reword that. Paul finds encouragement and comfort in the gospel knowing that God loved him enough to send his son to save him. Yes, us. Paul knew God loved him, that Jesus loved him, right? That Jesus loved him enough to die for him. That we are loved, and so because of that, that we are secure, that we have a different view of life, that we know, no matter what our circumstances are, good, bad, indifferent, rich, poor, doesn't matter, healthy, sick, who knows, that no matter what, we are loved by the creator of the universe, that we are loved by a savior who gave his life for us, and that we can take this life, no matter what our life looks like, and we can live it for others, selflessly, because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Paul models for us, even though he's not the perfect example, he's a good example, he's human, just like the rest of us. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right, there's humility in the incarnation, there's humility in Jesus becoming human. Just take all those things we talked about last week, when we talked about Jesus, who is God, who is the very life itself, who is light that shines in the darkness and evil cannot overcome him, who is creator, who is God. Jesus became human. Look at the humility in that. I've heard people use all kinds of examples like us to an ant. I don't think there is any comparison of God to human that you can shrink yourself down and again, God is so beyond our comprehension that we just can't get the level of humility it took for Jesus to become human. But we know that it's true and that he did it. And so he reminds us, do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant yourselves. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? <clears throat> so we talked about the rest of this one, like how do we look to, and let me not just say the interests of others, that doesn't mean go out and get them a nice Christmas gift. Maybe that's on your agenda, maybe it isn't. How do we look for their spiritual interests? How do we find ways to be Jesus in their presence so that they can see Jesus? That's what they need the most. With presence, without presence, whatever you got to do, right? However you're going to do your thing, how can we do it so that others see Jesus in us? That's what Paul is saying. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So here's the Christmas story. Here's the traditional Christmas story, right? That this child, born of a virgin, pronounced by angels, promised by God, promised by the prophets, would come and be born in such humility. No room at the inn, so they were born in a manger, a, a word we don't use except for Christmas typically. And when we use it in the Christmas setting, we make a manger look really cool. We're talking about a stable. We're talking about a cave where animals slept and ate and likely did other things. Probably didn't smell great. No room to be born like any other human being. Out in a cave with the animals, in the stink, in the cold. That Jesus would become that. That he would empty himself, says, uh, says Paul. 
that he would just kind of take out everything that makes him who he is and who, who he is as God, and, and that he would empty that out and lower himself, condescend to being human for you, for me. That's the image Paul wants to give us. The Christmas story is that, right? Let's read that again, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. So again, think like this, he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, though he is God, did not count equality with God something you and I could understand, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Here's the song lyric we're looking at today. Who is this? So weak and helpless, it's the, title, it's the title lyric. Child of lowly Hebrew made rudely in a stable sheltered coldly in a manger laid. That rudely, coldly is, to, is, is the hymn writer's way of giving you this isn't a cute commercial story, right? I used the example last week, like I have manger scenes, we have, a manger, we have two of them at home and we go to Big Bear each Christmas and I have a manger scene made out of all bears. I know, your image of me just changed. I get it. I don't blame you. I feel the shame. It's our big bear manger scene, right? And we take it with us. It's dumb. I get it. How commercial does it have to be where our manger scene is made out of bears? Right? Because we've missed, thank you, because we've missed the point rudely. And I mean, no room, there's no room for you, pregnant lady. Go. Serious. No, no, I'm not going to kick the rich guy out because he pays more. So you go, I get it. You're pregnant. So what? Go rudely in a stable, sheltered, coldly. This isn't some warm, fuzzy story. This is a story we see in a movie and, and the, the kind of the tears start to well up in your eyes in this moment. Like how can humanity do this to one another? How could they not see this woman in need? Not some young dude you can just tell, hey, don't worry about it. Go sleep outside like this pregnant woman. How do we do this? That is the choice Jesus made to enter into human flesh for you and for me. He could have came in child of Caesar in Rome at this point, the most wealthy family, most powerful family on the planet. Instead, he came in where there was no room and was born where animals sleep. That we would see the humility, that we would see the condescension of Christ, that we would see how far God lowered himself for you and for me so that when we're in that image, when we're wrapped up in that story, in that scene, in that image, then we hear the call of Paul to be like Jesus. So have this, he says, have this mind among yourselves. Think like that. Like, I don't need that. I don't deserve that. I don't want that. I want to be this for everyone else's sake. I want to lower myself, humble myself so that others can see Jesus through me. Rather than go be with Jesus in the very presence of his Savior, he says it's more important that I live like Jesus lived so that I can share the story of Christ with others. Verse 8, he says this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. So you can't really separate the Christmas story from the Easter story, if you will. You, 
You can't separate the beginning of Christ's life from the end of his life because really they're kind of the same. The worst death you could die was death on a cross. The reason Paul will go on to be beheaded for his faith and will not die on a cross is because you couldn't even kill Roman citizens that way because it was too vulgar of a death, too painful of a death to put citizens of Rome to death in that way. So from the beginning, there's just no room for Jesus. And in the end, we will put him to death in the most vulgar, painful, violent of ways that citizens of Rome couldn't even have done to them. See, it's one coherent story of God taking all of himself, emptying all of himself out for us and living the way you and I are called to live in the lowest, in the hardest of circumstances and then giving his life in the hardest of ways so that you and I could be reconciled back to God. And then the call is, now you go and live in ways that show Christ to others, right? You don't have to go die on a cross, that's already been done. You don't have to be born in a manger, already handled. You just be you in this world, but live as Christ to other people. Live in such a way that they see the humility of Christ Not a term I would use for the Western American church today, humility, right? Look back over the last two years of COVID, I wouldn't call the Western American church humble. Yet that's the very calling because that's what Jesus did for us. Verse 9 says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will lower himself, humble himself, empty himself out to live this life, die this death. He will endure all of this, and at the end of it, as he is resurrected and, and, and ascends back to heaven where he deserves to be all along, that God will crown him king, and everyone believer and non-believer alike, will kneel down and call him Lord, some to eternal glory and some to eternal separation from God. But everyone will bow a knee. And so in this life, he calls us to bow down, to, to kneel down, to lower ourselves, to humble ourselves, because that's what Jesus did for us. Verse 13, 12, excuse me. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only is it my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, listen, you're going to read this. It's going to trigger some things inside of you that you need to change. It's going to evoke some things inside of you that don't line up with this. It's going to show you pride and arrogance. It's going to show you selfishness. And when that happens, I want you to respond to the gospel. Not just because I'm writing to you, but even in my absence, I want you to respond. I want a renewed focus on Christ for you, Paul says. He says, this Christmas, if you will, we'll we'll put it in today's language, this Christmas, I want a renewed focus on the humility of Jesus. I want you to remind yourself what Jesus did for you, and I want you to go and act likewise. I want you to be Christ to the community that you live in. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. This, this is all, you did this for us. You did it for many, but if it was just going to be me, if it was just going to be one of us, it would take the same thing.
It would take your full humble life. It would take your full brutal death. It would all be the same, even if it was just me. But it isn't just me, it's us. It's millions of us, billions in the world, billions throughout history. It's so many. Help us to live in consistent humility of our faith. You didn't come to make us arrogant, to make us boastful. You didn't come to make us prideful. You came in humility to make us humble, that we would live and serve a world that is against you, and that we would do it so they could see you. So that when we live in such a way and we have an opportunity to share you with others, that our life matches our message, that our message about the lowly infant born in a manger, that we see the humility in our lives. Lord, help us to live that out. I guess really what I'm saying, Jesus, is help us to be more like you through the power of your spirit who lives in each of us. Help us to be more humble, like a child born in a manger, that the world might know God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.